We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This 80s flick was meant to be just another chapter in the misadventures of Clark W. Griswold and his family, but it has become one of the most surprisingly popular and most quoted holiday movies of all time. So this Christmas, we're going back to Chicago for a special abbreviated version of the episode re-recorded back in 2021. So dig up your oversized Christmas tree, fill up your Wally World glass mugs with eggnog, and carve the overcooked turkey as Bethany Wells and I discuss National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989 on this special replay episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. After vacationing across America and throughout Europe, take it, Russ. This holiday season, the Griswolds are going to play it safe. Staying at home. I give you the Griswold family Christmas tree. Hope you're not getting sap all over your sweater, Clark. All Clark wants is a quiet, old-fashioned Christmas. Sorry. What he's going to get is the gift that keeps on living. Merry Christmas, his family. We didn't come to impose. This year, let Chevy Chase light up your holidays. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That thing had nine lives. She just spent them all. <laughs> Rated PG-13. Woo! Starts Friday, December 1st. I'm Tim Williams, the mastermind behind the mic at the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Joining me on each epic episode is a guest co-host who's as crazy about 80s flicks as they are about wearing parachute pants and solving Rubik's Cubes. We're diving into nostalgic treasures we saw at the local theater, rented on VHS tapes, or discovered on cable TV. From blockbusters that make you say, I feel the need, the need for speed. To hidden gems that'll have you screaming, It's a blast to relive these old memories and share our thoughts on what made these movies so special. We reminisce about our first time watch experiences, share our favorite scenes, and even discover fascinating behind the scenes tales about the cast and crew along the way. Haven't hit that subscribe button yet? What are you waiting for? Come on, do it. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And hey, while you're at it, be a pal and drop us a written review along with a five-star rating to tell us what you think about us. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Take a day off and come hang out with us on social media. Just search 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. 
And don't forget to bookmark 80sflickflashback.com for more gnarly content. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Want to crank it all the way up to 11? Become a supporter on buymeacoffee.com for only $5 a month. Do or do not. There is no try. Click the link in our episode show notes. And while you're there, soak up the extra trivia and fun stuff that didn't make it into today's show. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the party, pal. Well, welcome in, everybody. Oh, man, I'm so excited about this movie. This is my ultimate all-time favorite Christmas movie. Just based on your intro, I'm going to be really struggling because I'm guessing you don't want an explicit tag no, on this no. one episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, unfortunately, I can't, I can't repeat most of my favorite lines from this movie. <laughs> So uh, well, I'm going to do my best to keep you PG. I appreciate it. So as you know, as you can tell, my special guest co-host this week or this episode is the one and only Miss Bethany Wells. Hello. You've already said hello, but say hello again. Oh. Hello. <laughs> hello, everybody. Yeah. I have feelings about it that make me like, I can't think about this movie too much at certain yeah. points in the movie. But for the most part, this is just a dear classic. I quote mm. it all year long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even if Why I'm not? the only one who realizes that I'm the one quoting it, like when I go, <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, let's jump right in. We got a lot to cover, so let's go for it. So, Bethany, when did you see National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the very first time? Well, way too early. So this movie came out in 89. Um, I was born in November of 88. So I don't remember the first time I saw it. I know I saw it a lot as a kid. I remember one of my favorite memories of seeing this movie was Hmm. my mom's side of the family was having a get together. We were all sitting in the living room and our copy of the movie had been recorded off of like a free HBO weekend. Right, right. And we're all sitting around talking and it's playing in the background. And then it gets to um, Clark's big explosion when he realizes <laughs> he didn't get his um, his bonus, bonus check. Right. And I just remember my cousin Joey was like in the middle of a sentence and he stopped and he turned around and he looked and he goes, well, this is not the TBS version. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. my memory. There's definitely two versions of this movie, uh, <laughs> which is funny because, I mean, it's PG-13, so it's not like super vulgar, but it definitely has some language that doesn't always go over so well with I, the whole family. I think because it's a Christmas movie and Christmas movies tend to gear towards family friendly, mm-hmm. and this is not what I would consider all family friendly. Right, right, right. Despite yeah. the fact that I was watching it at a very young age. <laughs> Um, but it's such a good movie and it's funny. Mm. It's like it's five different movies all in one movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But but it's, it's, it's different. It's a different take. It's not the wholesome Christmas movie that you're used to watching all year long. No, it's not a Christmas Carol. That's for sure. Not that a Christmas Carol is. I mean that can be kind of scary. I mean, if you watch some of the versions of There's it, it can be a little. in that movie. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know what defines a Christmas movie? That's that's a topic for another. If I did one shots like your husband does on moving panels, that would, would be spend a, an 80s... hour talking about Die Hard is what you would do. Because <laughs> Die Hard is a Christmas movie, according, according to Laramie. To Laramie. 
<laughs> no, I agree with him on that. So well, but, that makes one of us. Right. Okay. Well, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so I saw this in the theater uh, in 89. I was, this was, I was going from middle school to high school, I think. And so, but I remember going to see this at the theater on a matinee. I want to say it was like during the week. So maybe like the week after it came out, but it was me and a group of my friends. And this is one of those few, like totally burned in my memory movie theater experiences because my friend Jason Prescott, and I don't remember who all else was with us, but I remember him laughing so hysterically. He was falling out of the, out of the theater seat, like, like <laughs> knees on the ground, like trying to catch his breath. And we were all like trying to keep from pee on ourselves. We were laughing so hard. And going back and watching it, I'm like, I don't know which scenes it was that he laughed that hard at and why it was that funny. Maybe it was that middle school age that it kind of hits that sweet spot of just totally ludicrous. Oh, this is dirty yeah. and we're, we shouldn't right, be right. watching this, the, but, but we are. Yeah, the, the lunacy of it and just the, because it's, you know, some parts of it are, you know, it's it, it has some believability of like, okay, that I can see my family in that. I can see my father i yeah. can see my grandfather i can see my mother and my sister and the scene it shows the uh sledding scene and it'll get the scenes later yeah that's he has yeah a he was like that, that scene just scene. doesn't fit and i was like true it doesn't <laughs> but it's it's there for pure comedy and i would say most of the right. back half of the movie is just filler for comedic moments oh, like yeah. you said it's like several movies it's like five yeah, movies yeah. happening so, uh, yeah it's it's like here let's have this one scene we're gonna set mm -hmm. up a joke this whole scene is about paying this one joke <laughs> right, off. Right. And when this scene is over, that joke is mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some through story and some stuff that ties right. it all together. But there's a lot of just like, and here's the sledding scene. And here's the scene where we get yeah, the tree. Yeah. And here's here's the portion of the movie where he puts the lights mm. on the house. Yeah. And here's, but I mean, it. You know, here's where he right. loses it. But in in fairness... Of the three vacation movies, that's kind of what they're even the original vacation was little vignettes yeah. of like, you know, it's just the misadventures and the things that you think are going to go right and don't go right. And it's just like little snippets right. of that with somewhat of an overarching story to kind of get you there. So so when was the last time you watched it before we watching it for the podcast? I had already watched it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, and I've got to watch it again <laughs> for the podcast. And so, you know, I watch yeah, it every that was year. Question. It's yeah. just my Christmas. It's a Christmas mm -hmm. tradition yeah. for me. I, I haven't always watched it every year, but especially in the last probably 10 years for sure. If I don't see it every year, at least, I mean, I try to watch it every year. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't just based on schedule, but I definitely watch it. If I can't watch the whole thing, if it's on TV, I'm going to watch as much of it as I can when it's on TV. TV. It's it's one of those I can just have mm -hmm. on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have to pay it much yeah. attention. And then, you know, I'll just be mm -hmm. quoting it. And I'll be going from room to yeah. room, saying all the lines, and walk back <laughs> into the room it's on, and be at the right, right spot. Right. Yeah, because even watching it for the podcast, I didn't, like, sit down and, you know, like, completely, fully watch it like I hadn't seen it before. Because yeah. I, I, it's one of those movies that we talked about a lot recently, some of the movies we've done, is, like, I can't remember, well... This is different because I remember going to see it, but we talk about the movies that I can't remember a time when I didn't know this movie. It's so ingrained in my psyche and my subconscious. Like like you said, I can have it on, get up, be gone for five minutes, come right back in and like, don't feel like I've missed anything because yeah. I know everything that's happened from beginning to end. Right. So. I, 
I do have to say really quick, I'm so excited to watch a movie where we're not going to cry uh, yeah. talking about it. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Except for the <laughs> attic scene, but we're not going to we're not going to talk about that part. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have opinions. All right, well this may come as a surprise to you, Tim, but you I have, have opinions. opinions. I, that doesn't surprise yeah. me. That doesn't surprise me. And it's not well, I'll say it front. It's not a perfect movie, and I don't I don't want it to be a perfect movie. No. I want it to be no. what it is, an enjoyable movie experience. Yes. That once again Nostalgia plays a lot, a lot into it because it came out in a time in my life that I remember, or just a you know pivotal time in my life. I remember seeing this movie, and then like like you said, I remember showing this movie to my grandmother on VHS, and I think we had recorded it <laughs> uh-huh. off of cable or whatever, and so it was the unedited version. And sitting down with my grandmother, who is not a big movie watcher anyway, but we just thought it was so yeah. funny, and there were certain scenes like ooh. I forgot about this part or, ooh, he's going to say this word or, ooh, he's going to have this, you know, imaginary moment at the pool. Uh, so where you're just kind yeah. and, oh, and I remember her saying, what did he just say? Or what did he just do? So. Just don't worry right, about it, Grandma. Right. So. <laughs> now, I, I will say it was hard watching it for the podcast because I felt like I needed to look at it from a little bit of an analytical viewpoint. And if you do that, it kind yeah, of ruins it a little bit. No. <laughs> don't do that. Just let me have lived that horrible truth. And now I can go the rest of my life and not have right, to worry about right, that anymore. Right. No, that's all good. I mean, we, we, we have our opinions. We talk. I mean, all, I would say for most of the movies we've done, we are going to talk about the things that we wish would be better, even if we love the movie. So oh, yeah. it's still part of, it's still oh, part yeah. of the, the experience. So, so let's jump into story origin and pre-production. So, it originated from a short story by writer John Hughes, yes, that John Hughes, uh, called Christmas 59, which was published in the December 1980 issue of National Lampoon Magazine. He said, the studio came to me and begged for another one, and I only agreed because I had a good story to base it on, Hughes said, but those movies have become a little more than Chevy Chase vehicles, end of his quote. Not every match made in Hollywood is meant to work out, however. In the case of Christmas Vacation, it was the relationship between its star and director that almost doomed the project from the start. Chris Columbus, yes, that Chris Columbus. <laughs> the one who <laughs> sailed the ocean blue in 1492. No, not that, no, no, no I'm sorry, oh, not oh, that Chris, so, the, sorry, the director me. Christopher, Chris, oh, not, oh. Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus, so is, uh, anyway, uh, who had previously helmed Adventures in Babysitting, one of my all-time I favorite 80s Adventures movies. Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, he was set to direct Chris's vacation after John Hughes sent him the script to look over. He even shot a few second unit scenes during the pre-production phase, but unfortunately, after a few meetings with Chevy Chase, it became clear that they weren't going to work out as a professional pair. Uh, Columbus said in 2015, to be completely honest, Chevy treated me like dirt. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reoccurring theme with that man, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be. So Hughes didn't take the pass personally, though, and would eventually help Columbus land the directing gig for Home Alone, which came out the following year. Very so, nice. Oh, out, so just out for... outside of your comfort yes. zone when it comes to movies. Too bad. Yep. Yep. I've watched that one too. Oh, of course. <laughs> that's actually that's actually Tyra's favorite Christmas movie. So I'm, my my wife loves Home Alone movies. Uh, so after Chris Columbus and John Hughes both declined to direct, Chevy Chase suggested to Hughes that he contact George Roy Hill to direct because Chase had worked with Hill the previous year on Funny Farm in 1988 and said Hill was the best director the actor had ever worked with. However, following Funny Farm's initial mediocre reception from audiences, mine included, 
and critics, Hill <laughs> retired from directing and turned down the offer to direct his film. So, yeah, I don't remember much about Funny Farm. I remember going to see it, and I remember thinking this movie is one of the most boring Chevy Chase movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I have never seen it. Yeah. Only thing I remember about it is he was like a writer, and he decided to go like away from the city to like this country town and try to learn how to write. And that's really all I remember. But it was it was just a bunch of kind of like this is a bunch of like little vignettes. Yeah. But not, there wasn't a there wasn't a strong overarching story to kind of tie it all together. So, so after developing a name for himself in the fashion photography world, Jeremiah Chekik decided he wanted to branch out and turned to directing commercials. His style was so unique that it piqued the interest of director Stanley Kubrick. Yes, that Stanley Kubrick, who jokingly referred to Chechik's work as his favorite American filmmaking, in quotes. This spawned a chain reaction of phone calls and meetings that would eventually lead Chechik to the offices of Warner Brothers, where he chose Chris's vacation out of a pile of scripts to be his first film project. Good for him. So he said, I had not seen the first two vacation movies. <laughs> so <laughs> That shows. So I wasn't really influenced by anything other than the fact that it was a big, at the time, and their big Christmas movie and comedy. He looked into a field and he saw a cash cow. And he said, I want that one. He continued to say, I just felt if I could crack this, maybe there's a whole other world of filmmaking for me. So, to tell you how well he did, after this movie... He directed Benny and June with Johnny Depp, Diabolique with Sharon Stone, The Avengers, no, not that one, not the Marvel one, <laughs> plus episodes of The Bronx, oh, The Bronx is Burning, I don't know what that is, I'm gonna skip oh. that, plus Gossip Girl, Chuck, and Burn Notice. Well, I have heard of Gossip Girl. Yes, I've heard of Chuck, and I love Chuck. Well, I, I've heard of Chuck and Burn Notice, yeah. but um, I've actually watched Gossip Girl. <laughs> so he continued to do some, some directing, but he didn't have quite the... And he did other things. I mean, Benny and June was kind of a quirky yeah. comedy drama. Diabolique was kind of more of a thriller, if I remember correctly. Avengers. I don't know what Avengers was. I know it wasn't good. That's all I remember. Oh, I, you know, I... I just know the Marvel one. Yeah. It was based on a British TV show, I think, with Ralph Fiennes and Uma Thurman, uh, kind of mid-90s, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although Christmas Vacation takes place in the Chicago area, the movie was shot in Burbank, California at the Warner Brothers Studios. However, for a number of the outdoor scenes, they filmed on location in Breckenridge, Colorado, because at that time of year, they traditionally had the biggest snowfall. But when they arrived, they freaked out when they discovered there was no snow. They had to, so they had a convoy of trucks hauling snow for certain locations. As soon as they arrived, it started snowing and dropped 10 feet of snow in three days. It became near impossible to actually shoot there because there was so much snow. They had to take snow cats just to get to their filming locations. So I just love the patience of Hollywood filmmaking. It's like, we don't have any snow. <laughs> buy snow. Once they buy the snow, buy snow, it shows up. It's like that movie White Christmas. It's yeah. Bing Crosby and Danny. F and K. <laughs> I see what you did I there. Myself. I see what did you did it. there. So after the scenes that were shot in Breckenridge, Colorado, the Warner Brothers lot in Southern California ended up standing in for suburban Chicago as the neighborhood of Clark Griswold and Company. The lot section known as Blondie Street includes some famous houses. Clark's childhood home was also featured on the TV show Bewitched, while snooty neighbors Todd and Margot hung their hats in the same house as the Murtaugh family in Lethal Weapon franchise. 
Chevy Chase said that they even found the toilet prop from Lethal Weapon 2 lying on the front lawn when they first arrived for filming. <laughs> Poor Todd and Margo. Really? Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, just wait. Just wait. I'm holding it. Do you have love for Todd and Margo? A... You know what? Imagine Clark Griswold as your neighbor. Anytime he starts to do anything, you know your <laughs> the property value of your house is going down. Probably. Like, down. Yeah. He he damages their property. He threatens to assault them. His weird cousin dumps a sewer thing <laughs> into their like they're the victims. He broke sorry. He broke their CD player that's the size of my desk. So <laughs> <laughs> but why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. And now, these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Are you a fan of movies and TV shows inspired by comics? Ready for a podcast that dives deep into the thrilling world of adaptations? Well, look no further. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. This is your go-to podcast for all things comics on screen. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and every Monday we explore the dynamic universe where ink meets action. We break down the classics, reveal hidden gems, and uncover the creative process behind your favorite adaptations. Subscribe to Moving Panels now on your favorite podcast platform and join us on this epic journey through the pages of comics and onto the big screen. Remember, new episodes drop every Monday. Don't miss out. Moving Panels, where every panel has a story and every adaptation is a blockbuster. Subscribe today and I'll see you on the other side of the page. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Talk about casting. Let's do this. All right, let's go. So I'm not going to talk about Chevy Chase or Beverly D'Angelo because we covered that in the original Vacation. Okay. Uh, they're kind of the only, well, they're somewhat only characters that return uh, yeah. besides Cousin Eddie, uh, but we'll talk about them as we get there. But there's one noteworthy what if regarding the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation cast. As fans recall, there's a running gag throughout all the Vacation movies 
in which the children, Rusty and Audrey, are played by different actors each time. <laughs> the festive third installment stars Johnny Galecki and future Oscar nominee Juliette Lewis as the Griswold kids, but the role of the male sibling most almost went to one of Hollywood's most esteemed stars of today. Do you know who it could be, Bethany? From that time, gosh, I'm going to say something. It's going to be wrong. Robert Downey Jr. That is incorrect. Thank you for Arden. playing, though. Yeah, probably a little too old for that at that point. Yeah. In a short featurette by the American Film Institute, Christmas Vacation casting director Heidi Levitt recalls meeting the future Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio for the part of Rusty oh. and immediately noticed his talents. However, she said he wasn't goofy enough. That's a good... Yeah. That's that's fair. So the role went to Galecki, who would also go on to star on, on Roseanne as David, and of course the lead in the Big Bang Theory cast as Leonard. Right. Uh, but yeah, but you know, if you if if you're an '80s person, you know where Leonardo DiCaprio got his start. Growing pains. Growing pains, and it was a Christmas episode of Growing really? Pains that he made I his debut. Watched the reruns of Growing Pains. Oh yeah, yeah, and loved Growing Pains. I honestly didn't care for the Leonardo DiCaprio episodes, but I got into them. Yeah. Around well, the time that Titanic came out, and so that's why I, I was into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he came in like at the that was maybe the last towards season the or towards the end. So I they was they were hanging on by a thread at that point anyway. Juliette Lewis as Audrey Griswold. She was she was previously portrayed by Dana Barron and Dana Hill. I was such a Dana in the last two films. Uh Juliette Lewis was an established fan of the franchise and counted herself lucky to be the next Audrey. This is considered Lewis's breakout role before starring in blockbuster films like Cape Fear in nineteen ninety one. And Natural Born Killers in 1994. She took a big, a big turn her from... <laughs> <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Galecki has said that, you know, she was... I think she was 15 at the time. He turned 14 during the middle oh. of filming. She, I think she made the comment. She's like, she said, I was 15, but I felt like I was 25. And he said... Every, she looked like she was 25. He said, everybody thought you were 25. <laughs> he said she was like... I thought she was 25. When you said she was 15, yeah. I was like, really? Yeah. yeah. So he also had a big crush on her during the... Uh, when they were filming too, so... That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, I think of the Audreys, she is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's not quite as whiny. Mm -hmm. And I, I really like how sweet she is throughout, like, you know, she's still that kind of like bratty oh, teenager yeah, yeah. throughout. Yeah. But then when she sees that her dad's getting picked on by his father-in-law mm -hmm. and she's like, he worked, he worked really hard on mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Grandpa. Like, and it's like, it still looks good, daddy, mm -hmm. even if all the light. And I, I was like, that's really yeah. sweet. Like, she's kind of showing the side of Audrey where it's, you know, I'm, I'm more than just a bratty teenager there's like a human being back here too <laughs> but i will say i know we kind of skipped over it because you've talked about her before yeah. but um beverly d'angelo i need to talk about oh okay talk about her for uh, is, just a minute is, is there a, a list coming is there a list that we're adding to maybe, maybe. okay so she is so underrated in this oh, movie she's i have to say that she care like if it weren't for her and his kids mm -hmm. It would be very difficult to realize why anybody would like Clark Griswold. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't like him. He's a bad dude. Mm -hmm. But you know what? They like him. So there's got to be something oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Beverly D'Angelo, I did a little bit of research because I think she's an American treasure. 
There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that she got her start as an animator for Hanna-Barbera? I don't think I knew that. That is what her first job in the industry was. She was a singer. And mm-hmm. I knew her, that, yeah. Yes. And and she was an illustrator for Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And she decided to take a whack at acting. And there's just stuff in this movie, the subtle things that mm-hmm. she does. And it's it's a movie full of just scenery-eating frenzies. Mm-hmm. And she does, mm-hmm. like, the smallest little stuff, like the scene where they're all sitting there trying to eat that dry turkey. <laughs> and she's just... Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she throws it over her shoulder, and it's right, all right. If you're not paying attention to her, you mm-hmm. don't see it. But if you decide to stop watching Clark or stop watching whoever it is, the big person in the scene, right? And focus. Right. I can't tell you how many years it took for me to realize that she was like holding him by the crotch when she, <laughs> <laughs> when all the police walked in. Right, right. And then she puts it right back, just so yeah. aggressively. Which she says was not scripted, like that was her idea, and she did it on one take to see if anybody would notice, and it was the one that made it into the final film. She is so funny. Yeah. And it's just, she doesn't get a lot of, you were talking about Juliet, um, Lewis. Juliet Lewis, yes, doesn't do a lot of comedy, mm-hmm. except for the Lampoon movies, really. Right. And she's so funny. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's not the big character like uh, Quaid, Randy Quaid, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry. One of the not, Quaids. Not and Dennis. <laughs> not Dennis, not Frankie Quaid. I don't know who right. Frankie Quaid is. <laughs> but she's not, you know, Chevy Chase or anything. But she's got like this, she keeps everything grounded. But she's also very silly. Mm-hmm. And that scene with her and Audrey talking and complaining about, like, why can't they? <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I quote the phrase, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's Christmas and we're all in misery. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's just, she, and she's perfect. She just, mm-hmm. she's relatable. It's right, right. And then it's like, when have I ever blown anything out of proportion? <laughs> Funerals, weddings, mm-hmm. graduations, birthdays anniversary just (laughs) good night honey good night (laughs) so moving on we got johnny galecki as russ griswold he was previously portrayed by anthony michael hall and jason lively in the last two films uh johnny galecki who at the time was a chicago-based child star submitted a self-made videotape on a hunch for the role of russ and was soon whisked out to hollywood to read lines with chevy chase himself director director Director, <laughs> I have an accent all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> Director Chetnik was particularly drawn to his dry and unique sense of humor. Uh, I love this. Only two Christmas-themed movies came out in 1989. This and Prancer and Johnny Galecki was in both of them. Good for him. Had a much smaller role in Prancer. I actually watched Prancer a couple weeks ago. I so. haven't seen that one. I, You know what? He's a good Rusty. Like, he... Oh, yeah. You know, he's... I still think Anthony Michael Hall's better. Yeah, yeah. But he's a good rest, and he fits the tone of this movie really well. And mm-hmm. he does, he really cuts, like, when Chevy Chase is going a little extra, like, he's oh, getting yeah, yeah. very high energy. He cuts it with this, like, dry sense of humor mm-hmm. that I just adore. Yeah. I think Beverly D'Angelo said that 
Galecki was like a full form man yeah. <laughs> on, the, like, on set. Like he he was mature for his age, even though he's still like he was ten or eleven. Yeah, he he st- even on, he, he comes across in, in his character is like he's kind of an old soul, even yeah. in those moments. Well, uh, but he talked so funny, like watching him at that like dinner scene where. He's at the kids' table, and it mm-hmm. takes you a second to go, like, why is he at the kids' table? <laughs> and then you go, like, oh, because he's actually a kid. Like, he's small, right. and he he is a kid. He just, yeah. he's raised by a psychopath, so he has to, <laughs> he grew up really quick. I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on Galecki, but I thought this was interesting. He had some good things to say about working with Chevy Chase. He said, Chevy worked like a puppet master for me in most scenes since I was young and had never done comedy before. He'd almost cue me for my timing. He would nod, point, or wave a finger. He was so supportive, teaching me comic timing. That took a patience and a consideration because the movie would have been funny enough without Rusty having that specific timing. He was terribly generous with me. Chevy would take me at lunch hours to the set of Harlem Nights and Ghostbusters 2. He didn't need to do that, yet here I am, the 13-year-old right off the bus from Chicago, and I'm hanging out with Red Fox, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Harold Ramis, and Dan Arcord. That's a dream. So. He learned some new words that day. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a full. He was a full grown man in that thirteen year, fourteen year old body. Yeah, he sure did. All right, moving on. Randy Quaid as cousin Eddie. Much of what would become the key character traits of cousin Eddie came from Randy Quaid himself, <laughs> from his unusual choice of wardrobe to his repeated attempts to kiss Ellen on the lips, down to his deadpan bingo line in the rocket sled scene. <laughs> Quaid was having a field day while with making his character come alive. What many fans don't know is that a lot of Eddie's mannerisms were inspired by a real-life man in Texas that Quaid was acquainted with in his youth, in, including the habit of clicking his tongue. Yeah. I, we, you know, if you're from the South, and I'm sure other places too, mm-hmm. you also have a cousin Eddie somewhere in the yes. mix, and I won't say who is our cousin Eddie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and for our listeners out there, just think, you could be. If the you cousin are Eddie. related to me, you're not cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie doesn't know how to download a podcast. <laughs> you serious, Clark? <laughs> I love the line. And I know Laramie hates this scene, but it's the scene where he's about to go sledding. And he goes, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've got, I just don't think it's a good idea with nothing between my head and the, or the pavement in my brain, but piece of government plastic do you really think that's Mm -hmm. gonna matter well you see that's where my part is you see right over here it's nothing right here my hair will just look terrible and i just that's not the line but it just makes me yeah i know so yeah yeah i chuckle every single time my hair just won't part right (laughs) my hair yeah it just won't look right he does have some of the better lines but merry christmas Mm -hmm, it's full yeah exactly exactly (laughs) say it you did you did (laughs) at walmart and he's you know he's asking basically asking clark to buy christmas presents for his family Mm -hmm. and clark puts the and it's such a quiet moment and there's so much going on in that scene that you wouldn't pay unless you're paying attention you don't see it right but he puts the light bulbs down and then Mm -hmm. eddie just keeps putting the bill bags of dog food on top of it and you just hear it Okay. Well, you know, he buys like six different brands but of dog afford, food. He just walk into the aisle. He can't afford Christmas for his yeah. kids. No, no. And those bags of dog food are expensive. Yeah. And they were expensive yes. back then. We could see the price tags as they walk through <laughs> clearly Walmart. 
And now, these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Hey there, fellow 80s movie aficionados. Are you ready to embark on a nostalgia-filled journey to the greatest era of cinema? Then look no further than the Retro Life for You 80s Movie Podcast. Join us every week as we rewind the VHS tapes, dust off those Betamax classics, and dive headfirst into the neon-soaked totally tubular world of the 1980s movies. From the Brat Pack to action heroes, we've got it all covered. Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, E.T. and Indiana Jones, and more. It's like a trip in Doc Brown's time machine, but without the DeLorean. So whether you're a diehard 80s film buff or just curious about the cinematic gems of the past, Retro Life for You is your ticket to the ultimate movie time warp. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Retro Life for You. And we can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast, as well as on our website, www.retrolife, the number four, the letter U.com. All right, well, let's talk about favorite scenes. Let's try to. Okay. Bring this one rain to a close. In. Yeah, rain it in as much as we can. We've talked about a lot of scenes already, but yeah. do you have an absolute favorite? I, I'm not going to say iconic because I don't think this was classified as iconic, but favorite scenes, go. You know, I think there's a combo, but I'm going to have to go with basically any scene with Aunt Bethany. I <laughs> laugh every time, even now. Mm-hmm. All of her lines are just pure golden to me. and And I think... Because there were lines that I understood when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't need to be an adult to understand what it was they were implying. Right, right. It was stuff that I have always found funny, still find funny. She's so precious. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't hurt that we have the same name. <laughs> and it's it's that scene. And then I also really love the scene between Audrey and Ellen. There's mm-hmm. that scene where they're... Her, She's, I have nightmares thinking of what he does when he's alone and I'm not lying in bed next to him. Right. Well, I'm sleeping with your father. So we all have to make sacrifices. It's Christmas and we're all in misery. Ellen, are you smoking? No. (laughs) I don't know why that scene. It's just very relatable. It's this moment. It's very relatable. That's and that's the thing. What what this movie does for me. Which is why I think why Vacation and Chris's Vacation, I I have yeah. love for them is because there's relatable parts of I can see my I see pieces of my family not yeah. total pieces but there's those there's those moments like oh and gosh I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell the stories because it's a podcast but if we were having a 
a one-on-one conversation yeah. that would tell you stories about my family. Uh, but there are just certain things that, that those things ring true. Like even the scene we talked about at the beginning, the grandparents come in and they're all there in the foyer and the, and, <laughs> and, and the director technically said that was the hardest thing to film because everybody had their own little bit and they were just trying to capture it kind of like in real time. It was but so realistic though. It was so I've realistic. Seen so many times. Like that's what it's like when everybody yeah. gets there for Christmas mm-hmm. or for whatever get together you're having and everybody yeah. congregates. It's oh hi, oh give me a kiss, oh look at you, yeah. oh you've grown up, oh, blah blah and then everybody leaves and it's the two hosts and they're like Oh okay. Okay. I'm I'm leaving. I'll see you at the end of the season. Yeah. I'm gonna be outside until the next year. Yeah. And then the other scene when Clark gets trapped in the uh, attic. <laughs> Why is it so drafty in here? Who left this open? Uh, another great Doris Roberts thing. Uh, but but I think it's uh, it's Ellen's dad when he's like, "Where? What about Clark? He's got his own he's car. Got his own car. He can drive. I need I've to eat. It. I've got to take my pill, and I say that all the time. <laughs> I've got to eat. I've got to take my pill. I got to take my pill. <laughs> I I will say I have a problem with that scene because he. Very quickly, he makes a hole in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You've already got a hole. Just keep right. going. Get out. <laughs> what I don't understand is like, I know, I, I can't think of an attic door that locks shut. Like, if it, if you can pull it down as easy, why on why the other end would it not, not go down? No, that yeah. scene does not make any sense. Although yeah. I do love when he finds the Mother's Day gift from like six years yeah. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but that is also that I love that scene. And I know yeah. we're talking about favorite scenes, but that for sentimental reasons, that's my favorite like sentimental scene. Yeah. And it's not so much the scene. It's the Ray Charles song. Yeah. You know, the uh, I love that song. Yeah. Uh, that's one of his best songs, which was completely unreleased. That was not that was not oh. a on a Christmas album. It was like an unreleased track that they got for the movie, and they never made a soundtrack for this movie, so it was never available. And you can't find it. And I can't find it on on iTunes, but other artists have re- have done their versions of it since then. Mm. So I always include that on my my Christmas playlist every year. So it's such a good song, and that is a sweet mm. moment because you know we have those moments where you watch the old videos mm-hmm. of old christmases or old yeah. you know birthdays and you're like yeah, yeah. oh my gosh there's so and so or mm-hmm. oh there's my granny who passed away several years ago yeah. and and there she is just walking around there's her voice i can hear mm-hmm. her and there's you know my cousin and he's you know a kid now he's a dad with two children of his <laughs> own and there right, he is right. like there was a christmas get together that we had where there was a video that we were all sitting around watching a family video and it was my cousin and he was totally nude. Like he was oh an gosh. infant, like he was <laughs> tiny. He was like two okay. years old, or right. maybe not two years old, maybe less than that, but like small, mm-hmm. but just completely nude. And we were all like, all right, now we've, we've seen that. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> right, right. It's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's just that like sitting there watching like, oh, even mm-hmm. if it's not a very like interesting video, it's right, just right. like seeing those faces, seeing faces you still see, but they're younger, mm-hmm. 
seeing the faces of people you don't see anymore and Mm -hmm. you know hearing it's one thing to see their picture it's another thing to hear their voice and see them walking around and definitely and it's it that is a very sweet moment where you're sitting there watching him reliving Mm -hmm. and and it makes sense like why he's doing all of this he's trying to recreate that magic for himself Mm -hmm. it's for no one but himself um and he brings it all upon himself and he's a Mm. jerk but it that scene and then the scene of him talking to ruby sue about how there is a santa claus those Mm. are his like redeeming moments in Mm -hmm. this movie Mm -hmm. my favorite scene though is the light is him trying to get the lights to work on the front lawn (laughs) Which then coincides with the arrival of Cousin Eddie. Uh-huh. But I loved the whole, and it's a great, it's well written, which I know it's John Hughes and well executed. But the whole thing of, you know, the light switch, not realizing that's what's causing the lights to go on and off. Uh-huh. And the back and forth with him and Ellen is just so fantastic. And then when the lights finally went. And honestly, every year when I plug on my Christmas tree light for the first time, I want Joy to the World to be played in the background, <laughs> just like Clark Griswold. It's like, that's. You know, everybody come out, look at the lights, look at the lights. <laughs> I, they're not, the I little lights aren't, aren't blinking. Yeah. Uh, they're, I, I they're know, not, Ed. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for noticing. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, and it's it's part of that relatability of this movie. Mm-hmm. We used to joke that with my dad, he would have these grand ideas of these like oh, yeah, house projects. Yes. And it would always end in him getting extremely angry. Yeah. And one of us was crying. Just because he would, and and as a parent now, I kind of get it a little bit, mm-hmm. where it's the, you know, you had this expectation in your brain of how this was going to go, and oh, you forget course. that your kids don't know how screwdrivers work yet. <laughs> right, right. Or that your kids don't want to sit there and check a million every, twinkle lights. Every light, right. Get this nut out for me, Russ. <laughs> Oh, gee, look at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta, Gotta feed go. the hog. Yeah, do my homework. Pay some bills. <laughs> so good. The arrival of Cousin Eddie is so great. The cherry on top. You know, yeah. You're surprised. If I woke up tomorrow morning with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of one more, and it's another subtle little thing. When they're, go sorry. For it. I know we're trying to wrap up. They're in the living room and there's that little thing that with the propellers on the top. Yes. Yes. And Eddie yeah. walks over and he tries to turn it and they just awful. <laughs> we had one of those as a kid and that's exactly yep, how yep. they worked. You would sit there yep. and you would think, and as a kid, you know, you're not doing it gently, of course. No. Yeah. And exactly. you're just wanting to make it go. But mm-hmm, as fast as possible. Even if you just gently touched it, all of mm-hmm. those little propellers would fall off, <laughs> and you had. To... And then Clark can't get it put back well, together either. And they, you would have to have them angled just right because the idea mm-hmm. is that you light little candles and they naturally just spin. It never mm-hmm. worked that way. But I, <laughs> I remember watching that scene and just relating to that moment mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we had that decoration, and it just, every time, yep. you would bump the it table, more, like, and it would just, boom. Yeah, fall apart. Yep. Yep. And then the, the best line, 
Get you some more eggnog, Eddie. Take you to the desert. For dead. For dead. <laughs> nah, nah, Clark, I'm good. No, I'm yeah. all right. He's so oblivious that the, those those dialogue moments between Eddie and Clark are so funny because Eddie is so oblivious yeah. to to that, which is which is so funny, <laughs> which a is good great. Movie. All right, well, we'll hit a few quick trivia things, and then we'll we'll wrap this one up about the film's opening. Chechnik says, "I always wanted the animated opening you see in the film, but Warner Brothers balked at the cost of doing an animated title, so rather than get into a fight." I designed another title sequence with a Christmas song sung by a Jamaican who sounded like he had no teeth and you can barely understand the words. Then the replacement title sequence looked like an old French art film with white tiles on black. When I proposed this to Warner Brothers, they said, we think the animated titles are great. (laughs) (laughs) He said for the theme song, Prince was a Warner Brothers artist, so he produced it and he's the one who brought in Darlene Love to sing. Christmas I love vacation. That song. Yeah, this is that's a, a good great one too. soundtrack. This soundtrack is a great slaps. soundtrack, which is why I was so. I, I, as a kid, I looked every year to try to find the soundtrack for this mm-hmm. and can never find it. Oh. But it is great. A little cameo you may not know about: when Clark is in bed trying to read People magazine with sticky fingers from the tree sap, the person shown on the cover of the magazine is the director Jeremiah Chekhov. Oh, good for him! And in the in commentary, he said he actually looks. Older in that picture than he does right now. <laughs> and that was recorded several years ago. So it was rumored that Clark's rant about his boss, Mr. Shirley, once again, another dialogue we cannot repeat. Uh, this is somewhat true. However, what the audience doesn't see is that each cast member of the film facing Chevy has a sign hanging around their necks that has one word written on them. These were some of the adjectives Clark used to describe his boss. So It's pretty a good smart. scene. And I have a friend... And I tried to put it together, but I'm just not a graphic designer. <laughs> but she wants like a poster with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Holy. Yeah. Where's the Tylenol? Where's the Tylenol? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and We're I have, have said that hap- as well. Hap- happiest <laughs> Christmas. Yes. Bing Crosby dance with Daddy F and K. Mm-hmm. So good. Which so... I was so excited when I finally one day understood that reference. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there were a few deleted or omitted scenes. So the back of the DVD release includes a photo of a deleted scene, one of many that have yet to be released. The scene depicted revolves around the Griswolds haggling with the tree lot owner over the price of the tree and their lack of a saw to which the owner provides them with a shovel. This was to occur between Rusty asking Clark if he brought a saw and the shot of the family driving away with the uprooted tree. That makes sense. Although I always kind of assumed that seems weird. It is weird. It's a, it's a weird transition. He cr- they crash into that sign and then the way they're mm-hmm. walking and the comment that's made. I assume that he ticked off the owner of that tree lot. Yeah. And he yeah. said, you can't. We're not selling you anything here. Right, right. And so they're just out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's where that tree is. It's not mm-hmm. a part of any sort of lot. It's Right, exactly. It's, it's just, just out in, in the woods. Yeah. Right. And then they dig it up, presumably by hand. Yeah, because they, they have nothing any sense. with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the beginning of the movie is completely, completely ludicrous, which... Kind of sets the tone so for the, the movie. So is the rest of the movie. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, There's a lot another, of stuff where, like, yeah. if you put too much logic in this, the whole thing oh, falls of course. apart. Oh, of course. It's not meant to be logical. No. But one of the other, my other favorite scenes, which is, once again, is really, it's a great joke, a subtle joke, is when they're singing uh, mm-hmm. Deck the Halls, and they're like, take, <laughs> take it, kids. Russ. Yeah. Because it's it's right in sync with it's so <laughs> great. It's so, so funny. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, I could see myself being that parent of. Oh, you know, I am that parent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I am that parent. Well, I mean, my kids are still young enough to where they think I'm kind of cool sometimes. So they'll sing mm-hmm. with me. But that's something where like once they hit a certain like teen age, I can just oh, see yeah. it like, all right, your turn. La, 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 la. <laughs> exactly. And you know, Laramie would be right in there with me. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There was another scene cut from John Hughes' original script in which Rusty and Clark have a heartfelt moment that Chevy Chase was actually interested in shooting, but it still never ended up happening. Galecki explained that he was to blame during the Rolling Stones' oral history. He said... They asked what I thought, and I said, I don't think there's any point. Somebody thought it was worth taking out at some point, so even if we shoot it, it'll probably get taken out anyway. He said he literally talked himself out of what could have been a classic scene with Chevy Chase, because they talked about it in the other two vacation movies, mm-hmm. Clark and Rusty always have somewhat of a little heart-to-heart yeah. moment, and so that is the one thing that is kind of missing in this But he this does one. have that moment with Ruby Sue, which he I does. think kind of does bring that like yeah, heart to yeah, heart kind of supplements yeah yeah and that's true he does have those moments with rusty where he's like yeah well blah blah blah. this is why we're doing all this this is why yeah dad's being a little crazy yeah but i mean he but has I... that moment with ruby sue and then he even mm-hmm. has that moment with his dad like he does yeah and i think and that that's what i was kind of thinking when i when i i saw this and i, I wrote it down and i was going back and watching some bits and pieces the other day the moment that his dad has with him to me supplements that it's oh, like yeah. you kind of see, Oh, now we see where Clark gets that side of himself from where his dad has that moment with him. And yeah. so, which I thought was really good. You know, obviously the Griswolds are much more ludicrous, like over the top <laughs> right. wildest, like worst case scenario of everything mm-hmm. all the time. But you know, it is that moment of going like, Oh yeah. You know, anytime I try to, plan a birthday party or plan a family gathering Mm -hmm. something happens and if i'm so stuck on it being perfect it completely Mm -hmm. ruins it for me oh yeah oh yeah and i think that's what makes the vacation movies successful is everybody sees that like oh yeah yeah you know (laughs) and if you if you become just hell-bent focused on the idea of perfection Mm-hmm. It will drive you literally insane. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed this special abbreviated episode. If you want to hear about the rest of the stack cast and more trivia about the movie, then go back and listen to the full episode that was originally released in 2021. But that's all for this one. If you love the 80s flick flashback podcast and leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating on Apple podcasts, be sure to follow or subscribe and tell your 80s flick loving friends and family all about us. You can also reach us on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also support the show through buymeacoffee.com for as little as $5 a month. And be sure to visit our online store at tpublic.com to 
order our t-shirts, sweatshirts, other cool 80s flick flashback merch. Actually did some uh, Christmas vacation t-shirts and uh, designs this year, so be sure to get those for next year. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.